Momentum Volleyball is the online Canadian hub for volleyball storytelling, reporting, and event coverage, allowing content creators to connect with fans, coaches, and players. Momentum is the hub for athletes, coaches, and fans to find free and paid volleyball content, and we are proud to be the voice of Canadian volleyball around the world. Head to MomentumVolleyball.ca to subscribe for free and get access to exclusive content and all your Canadian volleyball updates. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Nimes. You know, this just confirms sometimes you just started a good thing. So I start a podcast and I get to talk to people like this who turns out he's a listener or claims to be. But either way, we got him on the show and it's going to be great here. So today's guest is currently the head coach of the University of Fraser Valley. He's also coached with Capilano, Saskatchewan, TRU, and a few others. I got to shorten his bio here because we got on to get to this interview. As a player, he was a national champion with the University of Alberta Golden Bears. He went on to play 12 years of pro and played uh, internationally for Great Britain. Please welcome to the show, Nathan Bennett. Nathan, thanks for doing this, man. Oh, this is great. Thanks for having me. And yeah, I, I, I am a listener of the show. I'm a big fan. So uh, I actually do listen to it. <laughs> well, this is awesome. Good to have you. So just doing some research for the show, it looks like you grew up in that Alberta area, which is a volleyball hotbed, but I think you were in the Athabasca area. So I'm just curious, when did volleyball become your thing? Like what other sports were you playing as a kid before you got into this as not only a player, but a career afterwards? And it seems like you're, you're all volleyball now, right? Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. Growing up in a small town, I am from Athabasca. You know, at that time, pretty green to the world of volleyball. And, uh, you know, it was a great, great seven, you know, and uh, it was in, in gym class, you know, and they said, you know, just play some volleyball. And, and uh, one of the things in the in the class that day was to just set the ball above your head as many times as you possibly could. So, I was like, okay. And so I just grabbed the ball, started setting the ball above my head, and, and I was going into recess. <laughs> and my shoulders got sore, and then the, the teacher was like, okay, you <laughs> get out of here, you know, and then basically from that moment is when I, I, I looked into volleyball and played on the team and, and, uh, and started, started from there. And it was in, it was in grade nine in, uh, I remember this vividly, like grade nine, my, uh, there was a teacher there. Her name was Bonnie Spears. And, uh, she said that, you know, we have a pretty talented guy here. Let's, let's open, open his world a little bit. And then she took me to, uh, she drove me to, uh, a zone, Team Alberta tryout. So I don't know if they still do that now, but at the time, you know, Alberta was is has many zones and all those things. So I can't remember what our zone number was, but so we had a tryout for Team Alberta, and then whoever got selected from that zone would go to uh, the main tryout. And uh, the main tri- I made it. You know, I don't know how I made it, but I made it, and then uh, went to uh, the, this main tryout. And and again, I'm rural rural kid and didn't know much about that and i'm looking around and everybody in the in the trials from edmonton from calgary from grand prairie who plays on these big clubs and whatnot and i didn't play club volleyball i played you know just my junior high team and that was it and and uh they saw something in me and uh i, I made that that team alberta and uh, and from there just basically i played volleyball every you know every summer um, and at the time, it's not like it now. I think now, basically, provincial team programs are like two weeks or three weeks. That was that was a month and a half <laughs> we would spend together. Um, and, but it took up a lot of time, which is great, and I loved it. And then from there, yeah, we went from, I guess, Team Alberta, and then I started playing club in Edmonton. I played for NABC at the time. It was uh, it went from Edmonton Volleyball Club and then NABC. Um, which was loosely affiliated with U of A, so we were called the NABC Bears. 
and then from there, uh, yeah, we made it to made it to U of A. So, and then U of A on the national uh, on to professional, and then eventually uh, getting on to the British national team. Yeah, that, that's amazing. I, I wouldn't necessarily say you were a late start because I think some athletes do start as late as high school. But it's just funny, like when you really got into volleyball, did you even know that you could play this professionally? Like, was that a real reality? Like, how when did that become a reality that one you could play at even university, and then when did you think that pro or, or internationally was going to be an option? Yeah, I uh, I didn't know anything about professional volleyball until quite a lot later. Really, you know, actually watching, um, I think it was. 90, when was Barcelona Olympics? I think 92. I think so, yeah. Yeah, so 92 Olympics was on TV, and then I was watching watching volleyball on TV. And I was like, this is awesome. You know, I want to I wanna do this a little bit more. If I can get to that level, that would be fantastic. Um, so I really – it's kind of like now, right? You know, when, when the Olympics, and especially now, Team Canada doing everything they're, they're doing and, and doing so well. And we're, I just hope when I, when I watch people – and actually I, was, I had a chat with quickly on Instagram with Paul Durden the other day. And just saying like how excellent he's doing uh, on, on color because he's really explaining the game well and, and uh, you know, showing that this sport of ours is, is just a fantastic sport. And every four years, right, we get that boost of uh, uh, participation levels because uh, we see the guys play and it's fantastic. And that happened to me, um, you know, a lot longer, uh, quite a long ago. But, um, you know, I was watching those guys play and, you know, I watched Kevin Boyles play, and I, you know, I was like, it was pretty awesome to watch him. And then all of a sudden, you know, after my first year of provincial team, it was the second year I think he came on. And then he's our coach. You know, he, he coached me uh, every summer for, you know, I think four four summers. Uh, so I was like, uh, you know, ecstatic about that in the same position as I was at the time. So learned a lot from him, that's for sure. Nice, nice. And, and you mentioned your club is affiliated with, with, the, with the Golden Bears. And I think that's a little bit more common out West than maybe yeah. it is in other pockets around the country. But did, did Terry yeah. Danilux's resume or influence have any effect on you? Like, is that why you wanted to be a Golden Bear? Because you were such a fan of the Olympics and you saw like what was happening there? You know, at the time, again, like uh, being from Athabasca, I did, wasn't exposed to a lot of a, a lot of volleyball or high level volleyball. It was more so my uh, my coach at the time in high school was was Sean Morrison, and he's he basically pushed me out the door and said, "You gotta you gotta keep going, keep playing." And uh, so uh, yeah, so we just made that decision, and my parents were on board. So you know, driving to Edmonton, you know, two three times a week, and that was the one of the better better clubs. But I had no idea really. It was just like. Which, which club <laughs> that one sounds great um you know and we we did we did really well and that's and i think that's that was the part of the the deal which which really helped me continue with the sport is we had a lot of success with nabc I, you know we won national championship my first year playing with that program uh we won it the second year i, I don't I, you know I, if i can remember i think we won nationals every year as a club player and uh which was which was uh, you know great <laughs> so we feel in all that success which really pushed me to go um and play uh you know at a higher level um but at the time you know it's uh, u of a was on the radar but it wasn't like it's not recruiting like it is now right it's not like you know terry was you know c- calling calling me all the time or or, t- or any of that stuff it wasn't it was just kind of like you go to one of the schools and you know hopefully you're on the team <laughs> At the time, though, we, I think it was 1996, Team Alberta went down to, uh, or maybe, no, I mean, 94, 95, Team Alberta went down to uh, uh, San Jose to play in the Junior Olympics. And uh, and we had a really good, fun tournament. And then 
um, University of Hawaii approached me and wanted me to go to go to University of Hawaii, and it, that's when things started rolling. Right, I was like, okay, this is going to be what I want to do, and I want to I want to play, and I want to do this while I go to university. And uh, it just turned out that they, they could only offer me a half a half a scholarship, so I would still have to pay something like ten grand a year. And I was like, ah, I'll pay no scholarship. I'll go to U of A and uh, pay three grand a year or whatever it was at the time. So yeah, and, and that's how that's how that was born. So it was uh, it was a really great time. And I think Terry saw me play obviously with uh, with the club, and and then made the decision to have me on the team. But it was uh, it wasn't like it is now. That's for sure. And and again, trying to do research for the show. You're there, and I think, if I have my records right, I think Doug Bruce was on the team, and I think he won a, a bunch of awards the year you guys won a national championship. Was Richard Schick on that team as well? And, like, did anyone else follow you from your club team? Like, who were some other guys that were around the U of A at this time? Uh, well, from that club team, you know, nobody on the uh, of my uh, first-year club team was uh, was with me, uh, went to U of A, I think just, just myself. And then uh, the following year... Well, I guess maybe Blair Miller, Blair Miller showed up, and then uh, Peter Finley showed up the following year from the club, but uh, but not many from that first year. Um, but that year we won. It was uh, yeah, like Murray Graffin team. Um, my uh, myself was on the team. Scott Emsley was on the team. Richard Schick, Doug Bruce, Mike Steven, Clint Millard, Chad Atella, uh, Derek Nickel, um, Adrian Ferry. You know that list. It's just a great group of great group of guys that. Uh, that uh, I had an excellent time learning. So I didn't play that much that year, but I learned a ton. Yeah, that is a good group of names. And oddly enough, the one that peaked at my ears the most was Scott Emsley. Like, were you guys having a lot of fun off the court too, to be honest here? <laughs> you know, uh, that's that's it. You know, and we can get into that conversation for sure down the line. And I think that group, you know, the time, again, it was a, it was a different era. You know, um, we were re- really close as a team. Um and we, we developed a lot of those relationships, maybe in ways that, you know, look a little bit uh, not so good today. You know, but uh, I think uh, those were really helpful. Those moments to to go out and enjoy our time together and, and work hard in practice, and um, you know, just develop those those close relationships. When I got married, uh, a lot of those guys were in my my groom's party, so it's still from you know I was a young guy at, at the time, and you know, like when my first year was Doug's. Fifth year, he was the best man at my wedding. So when you're in this environment, like as a young guy going from club, and again, like coming from a small town, you might not be aware. Like when you're in the gym with a guy like Murray Grappentine, is there any sense you get that this guy's going to go on and be like maybe the Mount Rushmore of Canadian middles, right? Like, can you tell that they're that special that time, or were you just busy grinding and trying to get better every day? Like, what was the vibe in the gym for you? Well, the vibe in the gym for me was well, for me was to push those guys. You know, I knew Murray was unique just tell the way the guy blocked you know he was he, he got a much, he got to be a much better attacker you know as he got as he got older um but you know when i when my first year was his second year so he was only one year ahead of me um but the way he blocked the way you can just watch this guy block was incredible you know the, the way he pushed put his hands over the net it just came so natural uh to him and you know we just knew that that guy was going to go on especially as he developed uh you know, in his in his years at U of A, he just got better and better and better. And then, you know, it was it was fun for me to my first uh, first couple of years to play against him every every day. You know, and I I got much better just from just from that. You know, so um, yeah, it was fun. To, he was he was fun to compete with. Now, 
recent fans or even younger athletes, they might not realize how hard it is sometimes to get a pro contract. Cause I'm thinking like, to me, it really took off with like Riley Barnes and Stephen Marr. Like those guys were getting like Italy or Russia contracts coming out of, of yeah. U sports where th- there was an era there. Like even talking to like Jaron Mueller and some other guys that, that were ahead of you were, or excuse me, younger than you, like they kind of struggled a little bit to get bigger contracts. So I'm wondering in your era, what were some of the ideas about playing pro? Like, how did you get an agent? What were some of the offers you were getting? Like, what were some of the leagues that were looking at Canadians? Because correct me if I'm wrong, like even a guy like Durden, I don't think was getting top league offers his first year pro, right? Yeah. You know what, you know, at the time, uh, there wasn't a lot of athletes who didn't play on the national team playing professional. You know, when I, when I started there, that was kind of like, almost like you needed to be on the national team to get a contract. And also like Canadian volleyball at the time, like, you know, we were, you know, Canadian volleyball was good, but it was never at that level, right. And never at that next level where the world was looking at Canada, Canadian volleyball going, okay, these, these guys are the guys, you know, it, it was a lot easier, I think for, for Americans, you know, to get contracts if they weren't on the national team, because, you know, the States had a you know, they were, they were, high, you know, widely looked at as a top program, um, wh- which is now the difference, you know, where Canadian volleyball now is looked at as, as one of those programs where, you know, there, we are, you know, making, uh, making athletes to be able to compete at the, at the high level, um, which is, which is awesome, you know, but at the time, yeah, it, it was super rare to, to do. And, um, I got I got lucky. My my first year, I, I got absolutely lucky because uh, Terry had a good relationship with Paul Gratton, and uh, and I got I got on with Paul Gratton. And in my first year, I was uh, I signed a contract to play in Durant. And what was the? I know we're, we're jumping around here. I feel like I want to get to your coaching career, but there's just so much to cover. So, what was that like? Because I feel like that's a good club you, you kind of got a phone call like you got a boost to get that in there so did you feel as a foreigner there was expectations like obviously terry's going to be honest and he's not going to overhype you because then it puts his reputation on the line right but for you being at a foreigner there did you feel pressure to contribute and score or what was what was the german league like at that time because right now i don't think there is too much of a foreigner rule or maybe another league they only get two or three spots and there's there's a lot of expectations so for you arriving there what was it like for you well, it was a, diff- it was a different time uh, as well with with the relationship with Canadians and and Duren. Like, um, Rich played there the year before I got there, and Frank Ans was was coaching there. And then the year I got there, Brian Gavis was actually the coach, and then Jeremy Wilcox was on our team, and Ryan Pomeroy was on our team, and then and myself. So, and I and I even think the year before that, um, Keith Hansen coach there. So I think Keith, I can't remember the order. It was either Keith, Frank, and then Brian or Frank, Keith, and then Brian. I, I can't remember, but there were three years in a row there with Canadian coaches and, uh, and a lot of and, and Canadian players. So it was a good, uh, a good place to be. So, um, my year with, with good friends, like I played provincial team with Jeremy, we played against each other. He was at UFC. I was at U of A. We played against each other for a long time. And so that was a nice, uh, nice guy to have, uh, there. And then, Pomeroy, a guy, a guy that uh, was on was on the national team. He he made I think he did one or two years, but coming from Manitoba, but he's from Grand Prairie, and uh, you know we got we were roommates and got to be pretty good friends. He was the guy, actually, funny story. He was a guy that uh, you know I didn't I disliked playing against Pomeroy a lot, and you know, he didn't dislike playing against me quite a lot. So when we found out we're on the same team, we're like, oh my goodness, like I got to play with this guy, I got to live with this guy. <laughs> 
brutal, but uh, it took about you know a day, and then we became really good friends, and we're we're really good friends uh, even to today. So it's been great. But uh, yeah, but the the league itself was was a physical league, and you know it was new for me, and I was just trying my best. Um, but I learned a lot that year because I, uh, you know, I I didn't take and to, just to be completely honest, I didn't take uh, the professionalism side of it too <laughs> too well. I wasn't uh, the most professional player. I, I was a good player, but I wasn't professional. And uh, I learned a lot that year, and it ended up you know I ended up doing things um, away from the the court that didn't allow me to to play the best that I could possibly play. And then uh, at Christmas time, Duran said, "No, you, you know what? No thanks. We'll uh, we're going to move on from you." Um, and fair, you know, and <laughs> absolutely fair. Uh, but it was a lesson that I learned, and uh, and I had to start again from the bottom. So um, even Paul Graton said, "No, we're we're moving on from you." So I had to get a new uh, a new agent and uh, and start from from the bottom. So and then the next year I went with uh, Jonathan Walsh, bring it USA, and uh, and I was playing in Denmark. The, the second year, and then I still had to had to build up my career again. Now, when we had Fred Winters on the show, uh, he took us through his process, and I thought it was great. But the the one thing he said is, anybody who says they're not considering the money the most is a liar. So I'm wondering with you, like you got to play in a lot of cool countries, like you're going Germany, yeah. and not in order, but you got to play in like Cyprus. I think you were in Belgium, Finland, Denmark, Swiss, like yeah. Yeah. The places that I think a lot of people would just generally like to live. And you're playing volleyball in these places. But when when your contract comes up and you're having conversations with your agent, what was kind of your process to narrow down and decide where you wanted to be? Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, I just wanted a place to play, you know, and I, I knew I wasn't, uh, like, I found out pretty quick, you know, I thought I was a big hot, hot shot, you know, coming out of, uh, coming out of CIS at the time. Um, but, uh, so I thought I'd roll in there and I'd be fine, but you know, you're, you, we, we were not, you know, like the, the level is so much better. And so I had a lot of things to learn, um. And, and become more physical and, and learn the game at a higher level and think the game at a higher level. Um, so as far as I was concerned, I just wanted opportunities. You know, I wasn't really looking for, you know, let's be honest, Freddie is a, was at a different level you know, than I was. Um, you know, he, he was able to probably look and choose and find the best uh, situation that, uh, that, that he, he could get. Um, but for me, I was, I was looking at just like, Hey, I want to get better. I want to keep playing. You know, this is an awesome, awesome way to spend my life. And uh, I want to continue doing this as long as I can possibly do this. And, and, and I, you know, I got lucky at the end of the day. So yeah, I got to play in some great places and I wasn't making a ton of money. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't about that. Um, heck my first my year in Denmark, I was working in a contact lens factory, <laughs> you know, like not good, not being paid a ton, but, uh, but enjoying life. That was for sure. And did you feel like you personally flipped the switch? Because I think going from a good club in Germany, but going in Denmark, I'm trying to figure out how the league structure works. But did you guys win the Danish league or you won in one of the cups? Like you got a pretty competitive team there, right? We lost in the final. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I still uh, still, still hate that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah, Chad Grimm was on my team, uh, which was which was great. And that's a, that's a good story too. We... Uh, so we had a little bit of trouble finding a contract. Um, so I didn't get that contract until, uh, I think October. And so I went out and, uh, the guy, the, the manager of the team 
asked Chad because he's a Canadian guy. He says, hey, do you know this Nathan Bennett guy? And he's like, yeah, I you know, played against him a lot. Like Chad Grimm was, uh, who's, who's coaching the women at TRU. He, uh, he played TBC, same age as me. So we, we came up together and then he played UBC. I was at U of A, the same, same grouping, same, same level. Um, so he said, yeah, I, I know him quite well. He's a good player. Uh, you know, we should take him. Um, he's like, yeah, yeah. He's a, the, the manager was like, yeah, he's a really good left side, good left side, you know, a great passer, big American left side. Yeah. We're going to take him. And Chad's like, I think he's a middle, you know, I, I, I think he's a middle. So I, I come and I, I know I'm a middle and then I uh, show up and we didn't get a chance to practice. I basically land sleep the next day. We're going to a match. <laughs> um, so I get, the, the, I'm warming up in the middle, you know, and I look at the lineup card and he has him on the left side. And I was like, oh no, what, what's going on here? I look at Chad and he's like, I don't know, let's just go. So it's basically my dream, right? Like I, I'm playing left side, this is awesome. <laughs> I never, never got the opportunity. So the other team must have thought that we got this big left side, we can't serve this guy. So we, we we're going to serve the other guy. So I never got to, never got to pass the ball. But then the first set I got, I, I thought it was a 31, and I uh, <laughs> it went so quick, jumped up, landed, and then the ball, I could have hit it again probably. And then uh, the coach, the next set, put me in the middle. So <laughs> it was it was fun. But uh, yeah, that was a, that was a fun team to play on. And again, just learning and, and working, and then uh, just trying to trying to build my brand back. And when you're going around these countries, like when you look back, is kind of putting you on the spot here, but are there any places that stand out that it was just like kind of like a fun or unique experience? Like just doing the show, I, I think it's funny that a bunch of Canadian guys have played for this club in Finland. And I guess the the bus trips are just grueling. Like they don't have a lot of sunlight there. Like I'm just thinking like, yeah, you're a professional athlete, but is there every, any moment you kind of look back and go like, that was that was fun to live through. But at the time, this was like, this is pro volleyball for me. Like, Yeah. You know, that's the thing I think for a lot of people, they see the word professional attached to it, like pro volleyball and think of, uh, you know, delusions of delusions of grandeur and all these things. Like it's just great. And, you know, I bet in some places it is, but in some places it's, you got to be real and, and know that it's uh, sometimes it's not, it's not just all rainbows. Right. So, um, yeah, it's hard work. There's Finland was a, it was tough, but you know what, I'll tell you what, the, the Finnish people are amazing people and, uh, they work really hard and, you know, they're, physically they're amazing, you know, like uh, I, had a, I had a really good time in, in Finland playing with the with the Finnish people. It was fantastic. Um, but yeah, those bus trips are, they're character building. That's for sure. <laughs> and with there was the- one time we, 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 because of, so in Finland, um, all the roads are built north-south. So like all the major, major highways are built north south. So they, because of if Russia invaded, it, it would be more difficult for them to cross the country. So we were in the East and we had to get to a game in the West and it, it took uh, eight hours in a bus. And so we ended up getting there. Uh, we were getting to the gym 45 minutes before the game was supposed to start. And uh, basically just put our stuff on, start warming up and play. And I think we set a finished record of least amount of points combined in a match. <laughs> <laughs> so we were, we were, uh, we were in the gym, I think maybe an hour and, uh, turned around and eight hour trip back. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I don't know. Record's got it. I don't think that record's getting beat. <laughs> 
So with you looking ahead, uh, eventually you become a coach. I'm wondering in Europe, did you ever maybe start to steal drill ideas? Are you like this coach's level of communication or planning? Or like, is there honestly like sometimes a language barrier where you didn't even speak the same language as your coach? Like what was that process? Or were you so focused on playing that it was, wasn't even on your radar yet? No, coaching was always on my radar. Um, ever since in my second year of university, um, I did uh, my first summer camps as a coach. And that's when I got hooked being a coach. I, I loved it. I loved summer camps. I did a ton of them, you know, every, every summer up until, you know, basically when I was 34, you know, I, I, from like, yeah, 19 to 34, every summer I was, I was doing camps. And, uh, when I, when I figured that that's what I wanted to do. So Terry would always, um, I think it was my third year when I took a, another big step of making that decision, um, to be a coach, Terry would always, come down early in the day and then go in the team room and post uh, like a photocopy of, of our practice plan, what we're going to do that day. So we all get to see it, look through it and, and then know what we're doing. We go to practice. Um, so for one full season, I took all of those practice plans. And so I have, <laughs> I don't know if Terry knows that. So, but, uh, so I still have like a full season of all the, all the practice plans and, you know, started to study them a little bit and just be like, okay, what was he thinking here? And that, you know, what, why are we doing you know, all these contacts early in the season? Why are we doing all this gameplay later in the season? Um, you know, it's just started to question some stuff. So I, uh, that was probably the, the first stage of when I was like, okay, I'm, I want to be going to be a coach. So um, from there, after all the camps, when I was in Europe, I started doing my levels, like all the NCCP stuff. And then when I would come back in the summertime, I would do the, you know, the technical stuff that they have. So, um, so then, uh, when I was in Europe too, so every coach that I had, so I had a different coach every year and, you know, just trying to figure out what would work for me. You know, there's always going to be stuff that you, you, you don't want, you know, that you'll, we, I had some coaches in Europe, which I was like, ah, it's not going to work for me. And this kind of mentality is not going to work for me. But, but that, that one thing you did there, that was great. You know, so I'm going to, I'm going to take that. So I started just paying attention uh, as we did stuff, but you know, I wasn't uh, diving in fully as uh, as a coach, but I was still still kind of thinking about playing at the time. But um, uh, but I definitely was paying attention to what these people were doing. Nice, nice. Just yeah, one more big chunk to cover before we get to your coaching career. Uh, the London Olympics get announced. I'm wondering how did they have a, a call for players? Like how how did you find out? Like uh, and believe I don't think this is that unusual. Like I can remember like being a baseball fan and watching like the the Greece Olympics, and it basically felt like it was a bunch of Americans who had a, a Greek grandfather who were on the squad, right? So the the heritage yeah. thing does happen, especially if the host country just doesn't have a, a strong foundation in that sport. So London Games get announced. Yeah. When is that on your radar that you have a chance to to represent Great Britain and play for them internationally? Yeah, so yeah, so I I wanted to be on Team Canada. That was my that was my goal. You know, I, that's something I really wanted, and and I tried out as much as possible. I think I was there three or four times uh, trying to make the team, and and I was you know I think one or a couple of years I was one of the last cuts, and then um, then at the end there, I was just like, okay, well, I'm never going to crack the crack it now because, you know, at the time it was, you know, Murray it was Steve Brinkman. Um, there was some other great medals, uh, you know, that were, that were there and it was just a tough, uh, tough team to crack. And so once I, once that ship sailed, then, uh, you know, I just, I just wanted to play, play, play volleyball in Europe and enjoying my time. And, 
it was, uh, it was in, I think it was in 2008, I was deciding to stop. So I, I didn't finish U of A with my degree. So the whole, the whole way to go is I, I, I didn't finish with my degree and I thought, okay, I'll go over to Europe. I'll play a couple years and then uh, I'll come back and I'll finish my degree. And then two years turned into 11 or 12. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, in 2008, I was deciding, okay, my body's starting to hurt. I'm, uh, I'm probably just, I should probably shut it down. I, I got accepted in the Grant McEwen to, to finish my schooling. And I was like, okay, well, this is it. I'm going to end on my own terms and, and just kind of stop. Uh, but in 2007, 2008, the British team at the time, so they just got everybody together, they took over a club in the Netherlands and uh, they played the season in Holland. And my agent at the time, Jonathan Walsh, was living in Holland and got to know the coach and, and all that. And he mentioned my name and said, hey, like Nathan is, has a British passport and would you be you know, willing to, to take him on the team? And he, he was, he needed a middle and said, yeah, you know, like, let's, let's see what he can do. So quick turnaround. I, uh, you know, that mental, mental switch. Um, it's something that, uh, that was an exciting prospect of playing the Olympics. You can't say no to that. So no matter how my body was feeling at the time, I, uh, I was going to stretch it out. So four more years, I was like, okay, let's do this. So, um, yeah. So the next summer and, and, uh, we, I went to, we were training at a Sheffield and got to know the guys and we started, started training and it was hard training because, uh, you know, we had to catch up, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the, uh, the British guys don't, didn't have a lot of game experience, you know? And, um, so we had to, we, we practiced hard. We played a ton and, um, yeah, what a great experience it was, uh, to do that. So my father was born in, uh, was born in England. So that's why I, uh, I had a British passport, and that's what I used to play in Europe. I because I wasn't considered a foreigner. I had the, the EU EU citizenship. Nice, nice. And you you never actually played for this Dutch club that you said that they were all kind of collecting with. Like no. you kept going back to other pro teams, and then you would join again in the summer. Is that true? Yeah, they only did it one year. Oh, so okay. It was one year only. Yeah, and uh, so at the time I was in, uh, I think I was in Slovenia when that happened. Um, yeah. So then, uh, then after my Slovenian season, then. Went to went to Sheffield and and uh, the rest was history. Yeah, it was, <laughs> but it was good because all the British players they started to go find clubs in Europe and and then just like every other national team they would we would convene in the summer and and uh, we would train the summer months and then the other guys would find more clubs and better clubs and we got better every year and um, yeah it was an exciting prospect. So you kind of figured this out through your agent. So when you walk into the team room and Jason Haldane's there, like, did you just kind of like, oh, hey, like, how's it going? Or did you guys talk to each other before this happened? No, no. Jason, Jason came because I was there. Oh, okay. Okay. I was there before him. <laughs> no, that was awesome. You know, I'll tell you what, like, uh, yeah, he, he was a guy I used to watch, right? He was a little bit older than I am and um, a lot older than I am, but uh, he, <laughs> he uh I watched him play when when I was younger, and it was crazy. Like I was like, "Holy crap!" Now I'm now I'm a teammate of Jason Alden. This is sweet. So um, yeah, and then we were roommates, and we got to be good friends, and and uh, that was that was a fun uh, fun uh, fun time because I got to train with him every every day, which was you know in those summer months, and and learn a little bit more about what it's like to be a professional. 
And then just to kind of bookend this for our listeners, I, I understand there was an injury that, that kind of stopped you having the chance yeah. to go to the Olympics, right? So just kind of take us through that. If it's not too personal or private, just kind of... No, no, that's, it's, it's sport, right? Even though now I still have trouble with it, but it's, uh, you know, especially every time Olympics come come around and, you know, all the guys that I played with, uh, you know, talk you know talk about it and go, go through those memories. But um, yeah, I was in Finland my last year um, and that was it, like... The Olympics was it. Like I was going to stop no matter what. Like um, if I can make it through the Olympics, I'm retiring. I'm going to I'm going to go down the path and uh, hopefully become a coach and see what happens there. Um, yeah, but uh, it was in Finland. My knee went. My uh, left patella tendon um, basically structure stayed in place, but it blew a hole through the middle of it. Um, so that my season was over. And then, uh, so I was in, in constant communication with our coach, Harry Brocking and our, and our physio staff. And the doctor in Finland basically said, uh, it'll heal on its own. It'll take 12 weeks. And that, and that's really coming up to the time where I, I need to be, uh, you know, ready. And then, but if you have surgery, it'll be eight weeks. So I said, okay, surgery, let's go. Um, so I had surgery and uh, when I came out of the, when I was in the recovery room, I was able to stay there for, for a day. And uh, so I had my computer there and I opened up my computer and checked my emails and whatnot. And I had an email there from our coach and said, you know, sorry, Nathan, uh, it's tough news, but it's just too important of a time to make the risk. Uh, we don't know how you're going to be or how healthy you'll be. Um, you know, but I wish you all the best. <laughs> so when I got that, that was, uh, that was tough. Uh, once I finally wiped away all the tears and, uh, was able to, to, uh, get my grounding again. Um, yeah, I started, uh, applying for coaching positions. So I knew I didn't have, uh, I knew I didn't have my, my university degree. So I applied to a bunch of teams in Europe and, uh, every college team in Canada. I had no idea if they needed a coach or not. I had no clue. So I just, I sent everybody an email and, uh, and then it started from there. Yeah, that, that's so interesting. Like, uh, obviously, I think as a high performance athlete, it, it can affect you mentally. And even some athletes have, have mentioned on the show, like it affects your identity. But it was, was it maybe a benefit for you that you were looking ahead that like there there was a next stage for you that you were going to be interested in coaching, you were going to finish your degree? Like, did that help versus it, maybe if you were a little bit earlier in your career and you still wanted to be a volleyball player, like, do you feel like it would have hit you differently? Like uh, I find coming back from injury can be different for everybody, but I think everybody handles that, that crisis. Like at that moment, it, it can hit us pretty hard. Right. Yeah. You know, maybe because I was a lot closer to finishing anyway, you know, this was it, it, as far as my playing career goes, I was a, a few months away from it anyways. Um, but that, that, feeling of missing out on the Olympics was a major blow, you know, at the time. Um, yeah, I still have something ringing in my head as we speak about this. Like uh, Dale John said something to me a long time ago when this was happening. Um, and I was, when I got to the British team, he's like, wow, I'm, it may have it's changed since, since then. But um, he's like, wow, it'd be the only two U of A Golden Bears to play in the Olympics, Terry Danilik and Nathan Bennett. <laughs> <laughs> I went, wow, that's uh it's a pretty good that's company. Huge. That's huge. You know, and then uh, this went, but end of the day, you know, I, yeah, I missed out on that. Um, maybe would have changed if I was younger and I would have been a little bit more um, disappointed. Um, but you, you know, we talk about it all the time and it's something that I, I knew then like sport is, is it could end any, any moment. 
right? <laughs> it can end any moment. And it did for me, but, uh, you know, I was able to, you know, get a good career out of it. And I was able to see a lot of uh, ex great countries and meet a lot of excellent people. And, uh, you know, I have no regrets whatsoever about, uh, about what, what happened. And it, it put me on a good path. And, you know, I'm happy to, if that didn't happen then, I wouldn't be here now. So, you know, it's that ripple effect that happens. And, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. For sure. So you, you mentioned your cold calling, your emailing, you're looking around, you're looking for opportunities. Um, <laughs> Capilano replies, like, uh, were you in touch with the Pac West? Did you know what was going on in the CCAA? Or were you just happy to get an interview at that time? Like what was going through your mind when they reply and say, yeah, we might have an opportunity for you. Yeah. I, there, I had two, two teams uh, reply to me with that, uh, which was great. And so I was in Switzerland at the time. My, uh, so that's where I was kind of where my whole base was. So I went from Finland and came down to Switzerland and I was, uh, I had my interviews on, on, on Skype of all things. Nice. Nice. Um, uh, yeah. And I didn't know anything about it. Like I, I was in Europe for yeah 11 years, 12 years and I had no clue about where, you know, college sport was at the time. I had no idea. I, you know, I had no idea where what the Pac West was even, you know, because <laughs> I think it changed. It went from BC CAA when I was playing, you know. So when they said Pac West, I was like, "What is that?" <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I got the job and I uh, was really happy. And part of that job actually was uh, the Volleyball Canada Center of Excellence as well. So you know, I started to to coach that program in North Vancouver um, at the same time. So that was a big draw for me as well. So. Um, yeah, so that was a that was great when that when I had that interview and they they, they uh, I accepted the position and yeah basically flew back to Canada a few weeks a uh, few weeks after that. So what did that prep phase look like? Because obviously you, it, it's college and I've coached college. The athlete turnover is a little bit high. So even if you're looking at last year, you yeah. really don't know who's back this year. You didn't have a chance to yeah. maybe recruit and you don't know the layout of the league very well. So how are you yeah. planning and prepping and going into that first preseason? Like, Are the nerves ringing or are you kind of like, oh, I played pro for 12 years. I can figure this out. Like, What was that kind of first day when you opened your book up and said, what am I going to do this year? Like, How did that feel? Yeah, yeah, definitely a lot of learning, uh, learning curve for me, you know, as well, you know, but I did have that, that attitude as well. Like, Hey, you know, how hard can this be, <laughs> you know, but, uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of learning that year. That's for sure. Um, no, what happened, you know, it was great. Like, uh, when I arrived, um, Charles Parkinson found out that I got the job and he gave me a call right away and, and asked me to be his assistant coach for team BC, which I, agree to right away because I have no idea who anyone is in BC. I haven't been able to put my eyes on any athletes in BC at all. So that was awesome. So I, uh, basically when I landed, I went home to Athabasca for, you know, a, a few days and then, uh, drove from Athabasca to Camels and that's where team BC was being held. And, uh, so I got to, to meet a bunch of good people there. And, and also there, uh, the other coach was Drew Venables and, um, I needed an assistant coach. I had no, I had no assistant coaches. I, again, didn't know anybody. Um, and we, Drew and I were rooming in the, in, in the residence at, uh, at TRU where we were training out of. And so I asked Drew, I said, Hey, you know, are you doing anything? You want to be an assistant coach? He said, what can you offer me? So I go into the closet where I had on my clothes and, pulled off a polo i said i can offer you this polo <laughs> he said he said great i'm in so it was awesome because uh drew's a great coach 
and then uh, and then you know we were we were together and we did it you know with each other you know like we we uh, we helped each other out and uh, he was a great help for me and and uh, so if I didn't have him I think it might have been a different story for sure. Nice and I remember just reading an article on you and talking about how your philosophy is really you're trying to connect it with your core values and just kind of how you want to live your life, which I think is, is fascinating because uh, one of the podcasts I really like listening to is flying coach. And it started with uh, Steve Kerr and Pete Carroll and uh, Steve Kerr gets the, the job with the, with golden state and Pete Carroll says like, Oh, how are you going to coach your team? And Steve Kerr goes talking about his offense and all this stuff and go, Pete just goes, no, none of that stuff matters. Like, how are you going to lead your team? Yeah. What are you going to do when somebody misses a meeting or misses the bus? Like that type of thing. Right. Yeah. So with you, yeah. you wanting to connect to your values, what was that first year? Like, were you, were you a big rules guy? Were you trying to find autonomy? Were you trying to like maybe start off like really yeah. tight and then loosen up? Like when you look back at kind of putting your values to practical use as a coach, like what do you remember from that year? Like maybe some pillars that you still use today? Yeah. None. <laughs> None. Uh, no, I'm going to be completely honest here is that, uh, you know, I've done a lot of growth over the, you know, the last, uh, you know, 10 years. And, um, at that time when I was coaching there was, was, um, you know, we, we were successful. I'll give you that. Like we, we had a good team and we were successful and we, we taught these guys, you know, the game of volleyball. We, we taught them how to play. Um, they were, they were good athletes and, um, but they were just missing, you know, some of the, some techniques, but most, mostly tactics, just how to play the game. And Drew and I did that and we taught them, taught them well, um, but to be honest, I was more of a transactional leader at the time. And, uh, so I was, I was, uh, they were, they were my, my chess pieces that I was putting on the board and using that team to, um, to get what I needed and what I wanted. And, uh, and that was to win, you know, and that's, that's what I was about at the time because I just come, I was a player mentality and I wanted to win. So I had a, I had a lot to learn, um, as I, as I've evolved. Um, so, you know, even learning about what my values even are as a, as a human, you know, and that, that's changed a ton over, over the last decade. Um, but at that time, yeah, it was, it was, it was just kind of doing stuff that I wanted to, I wanted to be successful and, and, and win. How do I, how do I do that? Um, so there was a lot of pieces that have changed today. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was, a uh, that was a, that was a tough, uh, tough thing to go through, but, uh, uh, but we, we were successful. Yes. But, uh, ask me about the relationships that I have with those guys now. Not great. Right. They're not, uh, they're not, uh, as, uh, as I would have hoped. And what, what caused you to reflect on that? Because I think it's fascinating in sport. Like, and I've been in situations like this too, where you win and it's almost a relief because you're just so miserable and you're just so focused on winning, right? We're like, what caused you? Cause yeah. you guys were successful. You win a conference championship. So what yeah. caused you to reflect and say, you know, I, I'm not happy or I'm not connecting with the guys. Like at the end of the day, we're playing a competitive sport and you guys won your conference. So a lot of people would say, Oh, you'd be like great job by you. So what made you kind of leave this and say, you know what? I got to reflect on this. I got to change on this because I, I think people think winning solves a lot of problems, but you obviously didn't yeah. feel that way and left your comfort zone to reflect on this. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I spent two years at Capilano, and while I was there, I was uh, finishing. I was working on my degree, um, so I had, to, I had to finish my degree. So I was there too, as at, in, as a little bit of a selfish way. Like I was working on me, 
you know, and I, I didn't really have the capacity to really help others in a way that I, that I want to now. Um, so I was, I was being very, really selfish. Um, so I wanted, I wanted to get what I needed. Um, and I was using that as a medium to do that. Um, but when I left Capilano, so I finished, I finished all the schooling I could do at Capilano over the two years. Um, and I had to, I had to move on to, uh, to a university to, um, to complete this, uh, the programming that I was doing. So Pat Henley gave me a call and said, uh, well, I called all these guys. I called Rich, I called Pat, I called all the, you know, universities in, in BC. Um, so Pat gave me a call and he was, he was having his, uh, his twins at the time and said, he's going to need some help. So I, I jumped at the chance because I, you know, I could be an assistant and I could do my schooling. I could learn. Um, this is this, and it's the league I want to be in. Um, this is going to be really helpful. So when I, uh, when I got there, uh, ended up that my contract changed a little bit and, uh, I ended up working with both programs. So I ended up working with the men and the women's as an assistant coach. So I was working with Pat Henley and Chad Grimm, um, two different people, you know, and I learned a ton from both of them. Um, and after that year, though, it was tough. I couldn't really do, do the schooling that I, that I wanted to do, um, to get to where I need, what I wanted to be, you know, eventually was a head coach in, in Canada West. So then, uh, I sat a sit down with Ken Olenek, the athletic director. And I just, I, I said to him, I said, I can't continue on helping both programs. I need to choose one. Um, and he said to me, he's like, look, the men's program is in a good position. Um, the women's program needs a little bit more help. Why don't you go, go there? So perfect. So I got to spend a lot of time with Chad and, um, I learned a lot about, um, just how to, how to treat people, how to lead with, uh, you know, how to lead in a way that, uh, is more of a servant leadership. And that was a whole new concept for me. I'll tell you what, you know, it brand new. I was like, what does that, <laughs> um, he, I don't think he ever, I don't think he ever, uh, would title it that, but you know, as a bystander watching how he leads, that's exactly the type of leader he is. So just learning and watching Chad over the next couple of years, um, that made me start to reflect on the coach and the person that I, I am, or I was at the time. Um, and that, uh, you know, that helped me do that, which was definitely uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Because I think to an outsider, like I think sometimes there's a misconception on leadership. And I think when you're trying the servant leadership style, it's a little bit laissez-faire. It, it's passive. Like it, it might not even be the environment like you grew up or how you were coached, right? So was there, was there a stage that you're trying stuff and you're getting more comfortable or were you all in? Like did you ease into this and look for opportunities or did you, did you commit the whole way? I was not all in. I was not all in. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. You know, um, We'll get a little, yeah, a little personal here, but um, you know, I, I had a tough time uh, after sport. I had a tough time after being an athlete um, for as long as I was, you know, and I, you know, getting into kind of quote unquote real life was really difficult for me. And I was always looking for that adrenaline rush, you know, like, you know, when you, I, I made a, I made a joke the other day about like, it's not really, not really uh, the adrenaline rush you get when you hand in your uh, lineup card. You know, it's not like you don't have like, you know, 5,000 people screaming at you um, and, and getting that adrenaline rush and that spotlight. I, 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 I had a tough time with that piece of it. Um, 
and I really wanted that genre. So it started to get into some things, which, um, you know, trying to do some things with, that would give me that boost. And that was always uh, not beneficial to, to my life, right? Not beneficial to me as a human at all or my relationships. So it was really important for me to sit down with myself and, and figure out like, hey, like, how are you going to be, a, number one, healthy? You know, how are you going to be healthy mentally, healthy physically? Um, how are you going to build healthy relationships, meaningful relationships? Yeah. And then that, that piece of that puzzle would go into, into, into coaching. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, if you're not, um, if you're not healthy with, or happy with yourself, how are you supposed to teach that? How are you supposed to build those relationships with, with others that, that you're leading? And it's, uh, it, it's impossible. So, um, to be able to build quality relationships or genuine relationships, I think the first person you got to be happy with is you. Nice, nice. And I'm curious, uh, I think this is the question that pops up in volleyball a lot because I think both genders work together very well. Like I, it's not unusual in our sport yeah. to have a female as the first official where it happens in basketball and it's like, whoa, like there, there's a female ref out there where I, now it's starting to normalize a little bit more, but I feel like volleyball has been ahead on that stuff. So I, I am curious as a male coaching females that year, right? Because you're, you're going back yeah. and forth. Did you ever reflect on your communication style that way? Because I think the the best coaches yeah. probably coach the exact same way and credit to them. But I think there's there's some of us out there who maybe we're a little bit more focused of how we communicate where I think I can be have less tact when I'm coaching males where I try to be very considerate of my words sometimes when I'm coaching females. And I'm wondering if you had that experience as well or if you had a different approach for, for the different styles of our sport, the different genders and all the things that go into it at, at your level with yeah. Canada West. Yeah. Uh, yeah. First, I'll tell you that first year with coaching both programs was tough. It was really difficult. Um, we, our practices were back to back. Pat's style was a lot different than Chad's style. And I was, you know, the assistant to help both programs. So I, I wasn't the, the one leading these shows. So, um, so I had to, to assimilate a little bit to, to what, the, what each program needed. Um, we have some of the patch trainings were really intense. There, there was a lot of uh, high emotion and they were intense trainings. And, and that was the stage of that team as well. Like it was, it was a solid team. Um, and so that, that program was, was heading in a, in a more, uh, kind of a six, not successful, but uh, that team was heading in a, in a direction that uh, the women's team wasn't at the time. Um, the women's team, we needed to, to teach and we wanted to, to be successful, but on the other side of it, we, we wanted them to, to enjoy their time as well. Like it was a tough, like we, we were going in the, in the matches every week and, um, we weren't that successful in the matches, but then coming to work every day, uh, how do we make this atmosphere a positive atmosphere? And that was, uh, that was one of the things that we, we pride ourselves on is making sure that everybody was still having a good experience even though sometimes in the weekends it was a, it was a tough go. Um, but it was hard. Like I'll tell you, like work, like even on the weekends with the matches. So I'd be with the women and we would, you know, we would lose like a close five setter. And then the very next right away, click the fingers, the guys are warming up. And, you know, so you have to change that, that, uh, that emotional level to, to back, back to zero. And we're starting, uh, starting new with the guys. Like that was tough to do. 
Yeah, I think there's some listeners probably going like, oh, I'd love to work with two teams at once. But I'm thinking like there's so much that goes into it. Like you're technically missing the prep yeah. with the guys because you're you're all focused with the women. Like even going yeah. back to the hotel and reviewing and prepping because that Canada West back to back can be deadly sometimes. Like, did you ever feel like you were getting nowhere because your time was divided? Or how would you try to do game planning and be involved in those team talks? Like obviously practices are back to back and games are back to back, but there's so much time the rest of the day that you should be doing stuff, right? So how did you manage that part of coaching? yeah yeah and also trying to do school exactly <laughs> so yeah it was a it was a long year so uh, yeah i basically just tried to do everything that that they needed for me from me so um i, I kind of remember um getting back to the hotel after after the guys matches the women's video would be uploaded already would be ready to go so i'm watching video helping chad and then then the men's video would be done and then i would just switch rooms <laughs> and start working on the men's video um, so we have some idea of what we're doing uh, the next day. Like that was tough too because you want you want to be a coach. You want to help help everybody and trying to keep every, all the game plans straight. Trying to making sure you're you're sending the right, the, the right messages. Um, that was a uh, that was tough to do. Yeah, I uh, I'm glad I only coach one team now. <laughs> So when that SAS job gets posted, what are your thoughts? Because obviously you're you're finishing your degree, you're, you're super busy, you're helping with both teams, but then there's there's a head coaching job in Canada West, and and yeah. depending on the year, those don't pop up very often. So this one pops up. Like, what were some of your thoughts? Like, did you really get excited, get your resume together? Like, what was take me through the process of applying and, and get and getting that job? Yeah, um, yes, yeah, so that year. There was a, there was a couple jobs up for grabs. Um, like York was a, was available, um, and, and U of S was available. Um, but yeah, so I, I coached both teams, men and women, my first year at TRU, and then the next three years I just helped with the women. And I finished off my uh, my degree at uh, at TRU and was in the process of uh, with my master's program. Then uh, the position came available, so yeah, I was uh, I was excited, you know, like let's let's do this because now I have the credentials um, to be able to even have my resume looked at. Um, so I was pretty happy about that. So this would yeah, it was my first time of, uh, of of going after a job that I think I would be, um, you know, I, I have all the all the things all the all the boxes are ticked right, so I think I can uh, have have a chance here. Um, yeah, so I got my resume together and uh, you know fired it off to to those two schools and um, I was I had a phone interview with York. I didn't get too far with that uh, with that interview, and, but with uh, with Sask, I uh, I got another I got an interview um, and I was actually in Halifax at the time and I had a I had a video interview and um, and it went well and uh, they gave me a call back. Um, couple weeks later and uh and asked me to come into sask for a visit so went for a visit at sask and uh yeah lo and behold uh, the uh, next day i i was offered the position awesome awesome and what's yeah. it like or sorry uh were you gonna say something else no yeah it was just a it was an exciting time for me because that that's that was the goal i had since uh you know my second year of university you know since uh, 98 so that was uh, it was a dream uh, a dream accomplished, which uh, which felt really good. Now, with that, did you put any expectations on yourself, or were you so happy that because you had been working with with two high level coaches at TRU, like now it's the time to be in the first chair? Like, did you feel 
like it was all coming together and you were ready to like, because I think as assistant coaches, a lot of us, we, we have great ideas, but we really don't have like the responsibilities the head coach does where we're, we're kind of making suggestions. They're making decisions, right? Where now you're going to be in that first chair, you're driving. Like, was that exciting yeah. to you? Like it was just because of the timing and the experience you had gained the last few years? Yeah, it was, it was good. Uh, you know, so, but I did have experience. So I, I, I was first chair at cap and then I, and with team, my team BC experience as well, being uh, the leader of that program for, for four or five years, um, you know, which gave me that confidence, I guess, to be able to, to make decisions. But, uh, yeah, I'll tell you, I was, I was definitely nervous because, you know, U of S is a, is a monster, right? Like it's one of the original schools and, um, what a great history it has. And, uh, you know, I was, uh, I was nervous to, to take it over for sure. Was there any, uh, rivalry? Cause obviously you would have played against them, right? I think you even played a Canada West final oh, against them. Like, was there any okay, old so memories yeah. about that gym? <laughs> now we're getting into a story here. So, I, I, <laughs> so it was 99, 1999. Uh, we have a really good team at U of A. Um, so Rich came back. So Rich played in our 96, 97 year. Then he took the 97, 98 year and went to play in Japan. And then 98, 99 season, he came back and we had a really good team that year. Um, and we were in the national semifinal in Laval against, uh, against Sask and Sask had a great team that year too. Um, so an old school scoring still at this point in time. So we beat them the first set, uh, 15, four. We'd be in 15 4 in the first set. And then the next set, second set, we were doing well, but it was tied 6 6. And then, uh, and then basically I went for a block. I landed on our setter's uh, foot and my leg, my fibula broke. Um, so I was out, done. And then uh, we ended up losing that, uh, that match. I ended up winning the bronze medal the next day. Um, but then SAS goes on to win uh, the national title in 1999. Um, so I get the job at Sask and I go in every day, every practice, and I see this banner sitting, <laughs> it was hanging from the Raptors, 1999 national title. Just, oh man, <laughs> that was a, that was a tough thing to see every day. <laughs> oh man. And then we don't need to get into the details here, but obviously with U of S having the coaching change when you're coming in, like again, you being like a values driven guy and you want to have positive relationships, like was it, was that maybe a strength of why you were the right coach at the right time for that program? Like just to kind of, I'm not saying change the culture, but maybe have an influence in, in some of the things you can bring to the table. Yeah. Yeah. It was, a, it, it was, a. will always thank Sean Bird for, for giving me the opportunity. Um, he ended up going to, to McMaster to be the, uh, athletic director there. Um, so I will thank him forever for giving me that opportunity. Um, you know, it, it's tough, right? Like taking over a program, especially with the history of, of U of S, um, you know, taking over from, uh, from somebody who's been there for, for a long, long time and, uh, just embedded in the community, embedded in the university, um, alumni, you know, 30 years of alumni, you know, under, under one, one coach. And so it's, uh, it was tough, you know, because, anything that anybody does differently is not the way it always has been done. So therefore it's a, it's a tough, uh, it was a tough, tough, uh, tough time for me because I'm just trying my best. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, U of S was, was a great experience for me. Uh, had great athletes. Um, the, the coaches that are there, uh, like Mark Dodds is there, which is a great coach. 
and uh, you know, sharing a wall with Lisa Tomitis, who's you know Team Canada right now, that women's basketball coach who's at, in Tokyo. Um, you know, just a bunch of a bunch of really good people there, and I uh, I, I valued that that time. Um, and I, in that season, I learned a lot, uh, what it is to be a coach, let alone, um, nothing really to do about technique and X's and O's, but what it means to be a coach in, uh, in the Canada West. Now, I don't have this from a reliable source. I don't even know if the article is correct, but I'm going to, I'm going to quote them as saying that we're breaking news here, but we're definitely not. I think COVID may have thrown a wrench in this, but is Fraser Valley going to the Canada West eventually? Is that rumor true that you guys are going to be leaving like the college league to play in, in U sports? It has already been done. Oh, so it's yes, a, it's official. Are. Okay, nice. It's, it, it's official. Yeah. Not breaking any news here. That's for sure. And um, was that something excited? Yeah, so, like when you took this gig, was that something that was on the radar? They've already done the application and the, and the process had already been started. Cause I think the COVID season interrupted yeah. this, this change for you guys, right? Well, they, so what ended up happening was, uh, yeah, they, they applied and, um, and they were successful uh, with the application prior to, to me taking this position. So I, I knew about this, uh, this change, um, you know, b- before I came. Um, so that was obviously the reason <laughs> I was here. I wasn't going to come uh, if it was still in the PacWest program. But because they, because they uh, were successful in their bid to become a Canada West program, I, uh, I was really happy with that because it's, it's a program where I could start from the bottom and it's basically, it's under my guidance right away. And, uh, you know, that was, uh, a, a big pull for me. Nice. Nice. And, uh, just for our listeners who aren't from the area, like how would you kind of just describe the volleyball scene? Cause I think Fraser Valley is a good sports community there. There's yeah. obviously been some players come from that area. So is yeah. that kind of also exciting is just knowing, maybe the access to high school and club players that you have that you can recruit locally and obviously expand it because people want to be in the Fraser Valley, let's face it. But, uh, you, you yeah. do have a good local scene there, right? Excellent local scene. The, the club volleyball, high school volleyball in, uh, in the Fraser Valley area is, uh, is excellent. And, uh, definitely a lot of, uh, local athletes that, uh, you know, that have gone far. Um, and at the end of the day, when you look at the model, um, Trinity at the beginning was, basically built from Fraser Valley athletes. Um, and then, uh, and then as they improved, you know, they started to take, you know, better athletes from different, different provinces. And basically now they have the choice of whoever they want. Um, so yeah, that's the, the, the model would be great because there are some excellent talent here, here locally, but also, you know, we're, we're in a position, uh, where we can, we, where we can look elsewhere as well, because, uh, it is an excellent place to be. That's for sure. And have you gotten any reports? Because I've seen some leagues are trying to announce their schedule, tentative or not. Like, uh, yeah. are you guys going to play only against BC teams if we get the green light? Like, yeah. how does how does the competition look like? Because uh, if you watch United States sports, they're playing in front of full stadiums. It looks like we've beaten COVID. But I think uh, we're still being a little <laughs> bit more careful and going to try to limit travel and things like that. So what's the fall yeah. and the winter season going to look like for you guys? Yeah, as far as I'm aware, yeah, I looked at the schedule that's out now. So we, uh, we're staying in BC. Um, so we're, we have home and aways with, uh, all the BC programs, um, which is, which is awesome. You know, uh, I think it bodes really well for, for us coming into the, into the league. Um, and then for playoffs, I think that's when, uh, things will kind of mix and match a little bit. 
Um, so whoever wins BC will have, will host, and then whoever wins Alberta will host. Whoever wins Prairies will host, and then uh, kind of gets scattered uh, after that. So I think I think I saw it where where BC two is in Alberta, BC three is in the Prairies, um, and then the fourth seed um, gets a little bit funny there because there's one extra team. So uh, it, I think it ends up being like because BC has five teams, and all the other programs have or all the other regions have four. Um, so I think if BC five has a better record than one of the four seeds in uh, Alberta or Prairies, then they'll be able to take that. But if not, then uh, that, that'll be the team that's uh, is out. Oh, interesting. Yeah. We got to find some creative solutions to make this work. Right. So that's, yeah. Yeah. And you know what, as far as us being in a league, uh, you know, I think we've done a really good job of building our team. Um, I'm really happy. Like on paper, it looks great. You know, we have yet to play a match because yeah, because we were supposed to be in the league last year, but yeah, COVID uh, uh, made a little speed bump there. But you know, at the end of the day, uh, really good for us. Uh, we, because I recruited 16 new athletes to our program for the Canada West, and nobody knew each other, <laughs> so <laughs> it would have been uh, it would have been difficult, uh, you know, to have a month and a half before uh, Canada West season. So being able to have this year was a little bit of a little bit of a blessing because we got to, you know, know get to know each other, get, you know, start to build these uh, authentic relationships, and and uh, hopefully we'll be able to put a better product on the floor uh, this year than we would have last year. Awesome, awesome, really exciting yeah. uh, news. I get a lot of good stuff going for you here. So just looking at the yeah. clock, I've taken a large chunk of your time here. So I was hoping you could just leave us with one more funny story because obviously a player of your caliber and a coach of your caliber, you've experienced our sport at the highest level. But man, something yeah. odd or funny happens along the way in volleyball because it's just a great community of people. So I was hoping you could give us just a funny story before we let you go. You know, if something happened uh, when I, my very first year of Team Alberta, so I was in grade nine. Uh, when this happened and there's some names here that, that you'll know. So I, uh, our coaches, Rod Durant was coaching team Alberta at the time. And Lee Carter was also coaching, uh, team Alberta at the time. And, and the way it worked, we, we stayed in, uh, we stayed in Lacombe, Lacombe high school. That's where we trained. And we basically slept in a classroom with our, everybody brought their foamy or air mattress or whatever. And we would sleep in the classroom and then we'd eat our food in the, in the home ec room and and then we just walked down the hallway to the gym to train and that was kind of how how our team alberta experience was but at lacombe high school there was this man-made lake and i think it was about i don't know maybe it was a 3k loop uh, around the lake and uh every morning we'd get up and then we would run the lake before we could have breakfast and uh the deal was lee carter would uh would leave a little earlier than everybody else, and uh, we all had to beat Lee back. And if we didn't beat Lee back, then we'd all have to do it again. So that was the that was the deal. So one morning, Lee Carter gets uh, gets out of bed, and like, Rod's sleeping, and he opens his eye and sees Lee going. So Lee's like committed that he's going to beat everybody back. So he leaves really early, <laughs> um, and then Rod sees him go. And then Rod uh, walks down the hall to our room, opens the door, and he says, hey, boys, morning's off. So we were, like, happy, right? We're like, sweet, we don't have to run. So we just wake up, and we go directly into the home ec room, and, you know, pouring us some Cheerios and whatnot. And then from my, from my perspective, I see this sweaty guy coming in, bursting into the, into the home ec room and says, 
Yeah. Yeah. And we're like, just like a spoon of Cheerios ready to we're looking at each other, like, what is going on? We find out later that Lee finishes the loop, and there's Rod, and I think Dale Johns was there, and Daryl Raw was there, and uh, they're all just waiting. And then they see Lee come around, and he's looking behind him, and he finishes, and he falls to the ground, and he's so excited. He's like, yes, yes, I did it. <laughs> and then Rod, Rod peers over Lee. He looks at him and he says, hey, Lee, uh, I gave the boys the morning off. <laughs> It's still funny. Uh, I actually gave Lee a call yesterday. I told him I might tell that story, so he said it was all right. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be so upset if I if I'm on a coaching oh, yeah. staff and I I just sprinted three meter or three kilometers trying not to lose to any of the athletes, and then I find out you guys didn't begin at all. I'd be livid too. <laughs> yeah, it was really funny. Um, yeah, that was funny too. And then another one was uh, was uh, so Chad and I worked together. At the same time, Mike Hawkins and Kruger were running the men's team. And uh, our season was going quite a bit better than theirs at the time. Um, we knew that they were doing great work over there with the guys, just the results weren't coming. And we were having some fun with them throughout the year. Uh, you know, some practical jokes now and again. Like we had an, uh, the check-in for our WestJet flights. Chad, Chad would always get the list and have all of the guys uh, there. So we'd check in automatically. Uh, before we get to the get to the flights, and we always see Kruger and, and Hawkins. Uh, they they would check in early, and then we would move them <laughs> like to the back, you know, by the you know by the bathrooms. Or we had we had a couple girls who like to talk a lot, so we put them in between those two girls all the time for flights. So we do all these things, and then one one uh, one weekend in Calgary, uh, they they left to go. It was after I think we played last. It was, might have been in Mount Royal, I think, and we, we played second. So the guys were done. And so we arrived, but they sent us a text message that said, hey, uh, we're going to go visit some friends of ours. Um, we, we left your present in our, in our uh, fridge there, keys at the front desk. So Chad and I looked at each other, and we were like, oh, no, this is too easy. So we took their key to their room, and we go into their room. And uh, I find all of Kruger's clothes. And... If you ever saw the uh, the Friends episode with uh, with Joey and and <laughs> where he was wearing all Chandler's yeah. clothes, I'm a much bigger guy than Cougar, and I had all his clothes on. <laughs> we took some pictures of it and sent it to these guys, and there was some other stuff that, that might have happened too. But uh, yeah, that was a, that was probably one of the funniest uh, funniest things that we did for for those guys. Is just uh, kept sending them pictures of the things that was going on and. <laughs> They were, they were having a, having a fun time uh, receiving those texts. I got the order wrong. I should have had you on. I would have had more ammo for their episodes to chirp them a little bit. We kind of nerded out with Kruger. We went deep into the science. I could have been talking about the prank days. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's that was that was pretty pretty fun to keep it loose, right? Because they were having a they were having a tough time, but uh, it was keeping things loose, and we're we we're, we're hoping for the best of those guys. But it was uh, it was fun. That's for sure. Well, this is awesome, man. Thanks for, for everything that you told us. I feel like we're still dipping our toe in on a lot of the stuff. We could really dive into some more coaching stuff, I bet. But yeah. uh, taking enough of your day for right now, we'll have to get you back on. Yeah. But uh, thanks for... for... Well, one thing, oh, go ahead. One thing I do want to quickly mention, um, you know, we, we talk about mentors and things, and everybody everybody likes to, to have somebody or, or, or even if it's an author or read something about someone. I think where a lot of my 
mentality and a lot of my coaching uh, ideas are coming from would be like Joe Airman. So I'm not sure if you've been reading Joe Airman, but uh, a book for everyone I think should should read as a coach is Inside Out Coaching by by Joe Airman. Um, it's a it's a great book and it will it will definitely help uh, help build uh, build teams, help build individuals, and uh, definitely talks about how to build authentic relationships, um, what integrity means, and uh, you know basically what how important it is to teach en- empathy and uh, and vulnerability because I think uh, those are the things and how what you need to uh, to build those authentic relationships and good teams. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for sharing that. So yeah, I'll be looking into Joe Airman as soon as we get off the air here. That that's a great tip. Thank you. Right on. Well, thanks again. Thanks for one being a listener, but uh, double thanks for coming on the show and telling your story. This was great. I, I definitely learned a lot, and uh, you know that's this is part of the reward of me starting a podcast. I get to talk to cool guys like you and learn a little bit more. So thanks for taking the time, and, and best of luck uh, with the upcoming season. It's uh, it's really exciting for what you got going on there at Fraser Valley, and, and best of luck to you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate this.